He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to episode 14 of Munson's at the Movies. My name's Kyle. I will once again be your host. I'm here with the rest of the Munson's. I want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in the world's rugby. Had a wild two weeks. First, I got a job um, in Las Vegas, and I'm moving there shortly. Yes. Yep. And then uh, about a week later, I was diagnosed with uh, COVID nineteen. So <laughs> hanging in there. It's been about it's been about nine days since I started um, feeling symptoms and kind of feeling tired and achy. And once I felt them, I kind of knew something was up. So I got a test and got my results back the next day that I was positive. But hanging in there, I've been fortunate enough to not have any of the the major symptoms. Right now, the biggest, the worst thing is that I lost my sense of taste and smell, which I haven't had for about a week. When you get to Vegas, you should go to a roulette table. Just put it all on 19. And if if it hits, you stay. If it doesn't, go back to Iowa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. I'll let you know how that goes when I get there. I think you should do the exact opposite of what Warren just said and not <laughs> talk to anyone for as long as humanly possible. <laughs> well, you know, teach his own. It's going to yeah. take him long enough to get there. He'll be uh, clean by then. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure your employer was jazzed about you coming. And then all of a sudden we're like, you know what? No. Avoid us for as long as possible. They've been good about everything. They knew that I got it out there, so um, I think they almost kind of felt guilty in a way that they made me come out there, and I still got it. So you traded in your car for a little like red motorcycle to get seventy miles a gallon, right? You're going <laughs> to drive that across Kansas? Yep. Cool. I'm traded in my sheepdog car. <laughs> James. Oh, I mean, compared to the last guy, I'm doing great, man. Uh, <laughs> excited to be here. Rigby, that sucks, man. Wishing you the speedy recovery. Thanks, man. Warren? Uh, not really that much. Um, you know, after my long relationship uh, that just ended with the Sopranos, um, I decided to tie up my relationship with Succession. So back-to-back badass shows. Uh, nice. Huge fan. And, uh, and, and the immortal words of Logan Roy, fuck off. <laughs> Yeah, Brian Cox is amazing in that show. It's so good. Brian Cox is pretty much amazing in almost everything he's in. I yeah. agree. Especially Super Troopers. Yes. <laughs> Case. I've developed a new insecurity. I've been doing a lot of, you know, home improvement stuff and, and watching a lot of do-it-yourself videos on YouTube. And I have become overly sensitive to the point in a video where the host, like, giggles and goes, well, of course you don't do this. <laughs> and it never fails. That's exactly what I'm doing. And this, I was watching a video yesterday, and the presenter was like, "Now I don't need to tell you this, but don't do this." And I just sat there for a second. I'm like, "Fuck, that's exactly what I'm doing." Only an idiot would do this. When putting the two wires together, don't lick your fingers and then touch it. Like, but everybody knows that. <laughs> well, I'm excited to. Introduce another one of our guests, Munson's. He uh, comes well-recommended. Our last guest, Corey, was very excited about his uh, participation, so no pressure, Mark. (laughs) Yeah, that's a tall order. That's right. Uh, She was great. So, uh, you know, we'll just keep raising the bar. We'll just keep raising the bar here. Well, 
<laughs> we'll try with that. We'll try with that trend. <laughs> we'll do our best. You do a good enough job, you'll get a t-shirt. Hey. Let's not promise something we can't deliver on here. <laughs> we get to be the judge on whether or not he does what. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's the new segment after the rating. Yeah. Because <laughs> then you rate the guest. We rate the guest. <laughs> We've got Mark Yerke with us. Uh, he Hailing from Boise, Idaho, Mark is a proud graduate of Boise State University. Insert blue field debate here. And an Sweet. unabashed nerd. He's always wavering between pride and embarrassment when it comes to his comic collection and craft beer cellar. Nothing to be ashamed of there. When it comes to film, his opinions outweigh his expertise. His two coolest moments when it comes to cinema are attending a 70mm showing of The Hateful Eight and watching the premiere of Super while sitting directly in front of James Gunn, the director, and Rain Wilson. That's pretty Ooh. awesome. Whoa, those are pretty yeah. badass. Welcome, yeah. Mark. It was it was pretty wild. We we kind of turned around. I don't know. Has anyone seen Super? Yeah, it's not exactly like an uplifting story, but it's it's pretty intense. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we turned up and kind of the whole movie just sits you, leaves you with a gut punch. And we turned around and there was James Gunn and Rain Wilson. They're like, "What'd you think?" <laughs> like, uh, yeah, wow, like that was there was a lot going on in that film. Your opinions outweighing your expertise make you perfect for them. That's just great. You know, I always like wading into areas that I'm unqualified to discuss. It's perfectly qualified now. We're happy to have you, Mark. Uh, we'll have a good conversation. We're just a bunch of average Munsons talking about movies, man. We got some birthdays for July 16th, Warren. Good birthday day. I'm going to start out with one of, one of my favorites. It's uh, Will Ferrell. You know him from just about everything that's good, and then uh, Eurovision, which fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the music was good. Yeah, I like music. music Rachel McAdams is adorable. Dude, it's, it, I, yeah, but it, it, the movie sucks ass. It's, it's seriously probably his worst movie. Are you talking about Volcano Man? Yeah. Well, I have, <laughs> give me... Oh, he's got to be around 60, right? I don't know. That's what you're trying to find out. 58. 54. We have 54 from James, 58 from Kyle. Give me 65. I'll go 50, 51, Warren. Did someone say 56? It's 53. Ooh, oh, so Rig- Rigby Rigby sneaks in there. Price is right rules. Sweet. Yeah. Was close. Second up, we've got Rosa Salazar from Alita Battle Angel, the Maze Runner series, and Bird Box. Who is she in Bird Box? Uh, she's one of the people who can't look at shit. I don't know. Because <laughs> <Okay>, <laughs> I, I haven't seen the other two movies, so I have no... I would like to guess like fourth here. It's really hard because Alita, she's all CGI too. Oh, that's a hint. She's older than you think she is. Let's go. Uh, yeah, thirty-two for me. Ooh, I was gonna say. So let me get in. Uh, thirty-three. I'm gonna go thirty. Warren. 30. Tight window. Thirty-five. What was that? What was that guess there? Thirty-five. I'm gonna go one. <laughs> <laughs> Craig on the dot. Thirty-five. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Last but not least, we got Corey Feldman, Stand By Me, The Goonies, voice of Donatello from the TMN, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies, and Dickie Roberts, former child star. That's right. Which Ninja Turtle movies? This is important. It, the live action ones. Got it. Yeah. I thought he was dead. No, that is <laughs> Corey, Corey, Haim. Corey Haim. Corey Haim. My bad. Give me 48. Feels pretty good. 45. I'm going to go... 51 again. Same age as Will Ferrell, 53. Dang, a lot of older. I was going to get, I'm going to say 42. He's 49. So Craig with that first Ooh, guess, nice. 48 to hits 49. I love it. I actually did math on that one. I was thinking about uh, Lost Boys. Figured it out from there. And uh, Lost Boys and like the four sequels they have. He's in each of them. So uh, <laughs> those are all the birthdays for today. 
we had five actors that we put on the wheel from our super mega list of actors, and those five were Ellen Page, Henry Winkler, Sarah Paulson, Hope Davis, and Chris Tucker. And as you know by now, Chris Tucker was what we landed on with the wheel. As always, the wheel decides. The wheel has spoken. The wheel hath spoken. We had conversations of whether or not we wanted to cover Chris Tucker because he's only got 14 film credits in his career. So it's small. He's got huge impact, but a small filmography. But we decided he's made such a big impact. Let's just dig into his career because it is mysterious in a lot of ways. But before we do that, we always start with some actor trivia. James, take us. I'm going to read off three facts. Two of them are going to be true. One of them is going to be a lie. And the lie has so far 100% of the time been a fact about a star from Fast and the Furious. So that you can use that knowledge <laughs> to help narrow down which one you think is uh, true and which one you think is a lie. Fact number one, uh, I won't name the movie, but he starred in the movie that launched the website Rotten Tomatoes. Oh. Fact number two, he has almost 13 million followers on Instagram. Fact number three, he turned down leading roles in Any Given Sunday, Lethal Weapon 4, and Django Unchained. What the shit? Those are good, good dude. <laughs> I'm pretty confident in three, but one and two, man, I have no clue. Those are crazy facts. Man, which, so which one's the Vin Diesel fact? That's the real question. <laughs> oh, damn, that's good. Can you read the second one again, James? What was it again? 13 the million second, Instagram 13 followers. 13 million Instagram followers. I'm going to say that's a lot. That's, that's my yeah. That seems like a lot. That seems like an awful lot. He doesn't seem like the social media type, so I'm going to say that's the lie. I'm going to say number one's the lie. Yeah. It's just too few of movies uh, that I, I don't think uh, spurned Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Instagram followers. I think it's number three because I believe that was ludicrous. <laughs> I mean, he, he showed off the chops in a dog show. I guarantee you he could play those guys. <laughs> All right, so Craig threw his guests completely away, but I respect it because the joke landed. Um, that was good. Uh, fact number three is, in fact, true. Uh, Chris Tucker turned down the leading role in Any Given Sunday in Lethal Weapon and in Django Unchained. Fact number one is also true. He starred in the movie that launched the website Rotten Tomatoes, and that movie was Rush Hour. Um, the creator of Rotten Tomatoes is a huge Jackie Chan fan. And he had the idea for Rotten Tomatoes when he was working in the workforce. And the primary catalyst was that he wanted to find reviews of Hong Kong films of Jackie Chan because he was a huge fan. When Rush Hour, Chan's first major Hollywood crossover, was coming out, he decided, what better time to come up with this website? And 20-some-odd years later, here we are. It's the most visited movie review website on the planet. That is single-handedly wow. the best wow. fact you've ever produced. That's awesome. Yeah, isn't that awesome? <laughs> and uh, fact number two is actually a Tyrese fact. Tyrese is very active. <laughs> uh, Tyrese has 13 million followers on Instagram. He mostly posts videos of him having a mental breakdown uh, about fights with his wife. Uh, Chris has 1.7 million followers. That's 1.7 more than I thought he'd have. <laughs> I'm going to guess that his wife isn't following him on Instagram. That's a safe space. Yeah, if so, she just does it for entertainment. Case, tell us a little bit about his snapshot in box office history. Chris Tucker's a favorite of mine because he's only got 10 movies. That (laughs) that made it very easy for me to pull some uh, box office information. I'm pretty sure one of you is going to get this question right. In his 10 movies that I have on my spreadsheet, only one of those movies has lost money. Does anybody know which it is? Oh, I can fucking guarantee I know that. 
<laughs> That's got to be Billy Lynn's long halftime walk. The budget for that is $40 million. It must have all gone into licensing or something. I, I don't. I don't know how the budget on that movie is forty thousand or forty million. Excuse me, forty million. The other really interesting part about his filmography is he's only got one movie that had over a hundred and forty million dollar budget, and that was Rush Hour Three. And everything else is is, is under a hundred million. What they spend that money on? Chris Tucker. <laughs> Fair. All right. He got twenty five mil. Two other points of distinction for him. His star meter is very interesting to me. He currently sits at 2,383. Does anybody want to take a guess at his highest? Two. 20? Top 50, probably. All right, James nailed it. 20. On Rush Hour 2. And then he hovered there until Rush Hour 3, and he was 25. He finally got a little bit of a jump back on Chris Tucker Live, but I, I thought that was fascinating that he was that high and, and he currently sits as low as he does. There were six years between Rush Hour 2 and Rush Hour 3 as well. Mm-hmm. So to jump six years and not lose really any spots, it's crazy. Awesome. That's, that's it on Chris Tucker. Super interesting, man. I mean, for a small filmography, he's made a huge impact on the box office side. Let's start with this. Uh, <laughs> Chris Tucker's tough. We did Natasha Leone last time, and we had to pick and choose our spots in terms of the projects we talked about. The beauty with Chris Tucker is we can talk about everything because there's not much. But we're pretty much going to hit everything he's done in film and TV over, and, and music, too. It all started for him when he did a live set on Def Comedy Jam in 1992. And I mean, Def Comedy Jam was huge at that time. He came out, did a five-minute set, and struck a chord with, with audiences. And so that was his lead-in to starting to get into the entertainment industry. He's from Atlanta, Georgia, and moved out to Hollywood to pursue his dream on that side. So over the next three years, we see some small parts. He's in Hanging with Mr. Cooper as a rapper. One episode, he's in The Meteor Man as an MC in the mall. That's uncredited, but I think we can say he's in there. He was in House Party 3 as Johnny Booze in 94, and he was in Panther as a bodyguard in 1995. Before we get into first feature film, it's also important to note, he was in some big music videos between 95 and 97. He was in Dr. Dre's Keep Their Heads Ringing. He was in, the, the most famous one he's in is Tupac's California Love. Um, that's the one he, he answers a lot to when he does interviews. He was in Mace's Feel So Good as himself, big time. Uh, and he was also, as a huge Michael Jackson fan, he was in You Rock My World as himself as well, and then also in Mariah Carey's music video for Shake It Off in 2005. So we're looking at, what, 10-year span there, five pretty big music videos, just doing some cameos. A lot of that work on the music video side was spawns from some of his early roles. We're going to start no earlier than with the film Friday as his first feature film, and Rigby has got that one. I think it's one of the best movies of the 90s. The film revolves around um, a particular... Friday in South Central Los Angeles. Um, the film's main character is Craig. He's played by Ice Cube. He's just been fired from his job on his day off. His friend Smokey, who's played by Chris Tucker, basically the first 75 minutes of the movie is just them sort of having these hilarious gags with each other. You know, Smokey's getting in arguments with, uh, with people in the neighborhood, gangsters, drug dealers, lowlifes, that he seemingly brings in Craig into his problems. But it kind of sneaks up on you in the end. It has a powerful message at the end with 
Craig and his father. And um, it's something that I didn't, I remember when I first saw it, I didn't expect it to actually have, um, have a meaning to the movie. So just another reason why I like it. I will say the chemistry between Chris Tucker and Ice Cube is my favorite part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think the scenes that they had together where they're just on the porch are just sort of worth the price of admission alone. Chris Tucker is like the loud, fast talking, you know, manipulative character and, and Ice Cube is is the opposite. He's calm, he's reserved. But it, they work really well together. And I think the reason Chris Tucker's probably the most memorable character of the movie is because he he is awesome in the typical humor, just the jokes and all that, but his slapstick is fantastic too. Yeah. One of my favorite scenes of the movie is when he smokes a, a joint laced with angel dust. Mm-hmm. And he is in the back of like a chicken coop, like you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, <laughs> that is a very, very talented comedic actor right there. But I think you can see Friday. It launched his career and why he eventually did become a star. When you see that movie, that role of him being the loud, hilarious, fast talking, sort of smooth, confident guy. That's that's his career his role in every movie. Yeah. yeah. So yep. maybe with a little bit more, a little bit more intelligence than he probably had in Friday, but. Or that Molder character is what made him a star. I think it's a classic. Um, I rewatched it, and I didn't realize how much of the jokes there actually seem like they're kind of improved by Chris Tucker, where it's just him kind of riffing and comes up with a joke. Uh, so I think he probably had a lot to do with the success of that movie because all the all the most classic like one liners are hits. And yeah, so mm-hmm. it was like Ice Cube's maybe first or second major role. So he was still feeling himself out as an actor. And it was Chris Tucker's first role. And he clearly already has kind of the comedic chops. And they were fully on display. During- I think the legend of the movie uh, outside of it is interesting, too, in that I was watching an interview with John Witherspoon, who played his dad. And uh, he <laughs> said that every, most of the actors only paid five grand to do that movie. Yeah. They had no idea if the movie was going to bomb or not. They struggled to get it produced in the first place. And so they all made peanuts to produce one of the best movies in the 90s. Chris Tucker actually commented on that in his stand-up where, you know, so many people have asked him, like, you know, they went on to make three or uh, two or three more Fridays. How come you weren't in it? And he kind of dances around the topic. But in his stand-up, he said, Cube paid me pretty much in weed and CDs to make the first one. So he still (laughs) owes me money for that first before I do the next video. He claimed he really didn't get paid, so right. that's that's why you see Mike Epps in uh, right. next Friday instead of Smokey. What's his name? Is it Day Day? Mike Day Epps Day, 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 Day. Day. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. he's he's good too, but yeah, no, he, no, he is good in that role. Not sure. as good as Smokey for sure. Every time I see that movie, I forget that the dad's job is a dog catcher. Dog catcher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes me laugh every time. That guy is great in that movie, and I can't yeah, think of another movie that's got the got a dog catcher occupation, but it's great. Rest in peace, John Witherspoon. I think he yeah, died. He's great. Yeah, this year. I remember yeah. it was probably like 2011 or something, like 2010. I remember going home for Christmas and I walked in the house and my mom was watching Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Your mom? <laughs> she was like more than halfway through. And uh, I was like, all right, I'm going to come check back in on you later. And I went back in and she was like, I loved it. <laughs> so, <laughs> good stuff. The pop culture impact from that is crazy too. You think the, the whole term by Felicia yeah. comes mm-hmm. from that movie, right? Like people drop yep. it all the time. Still to this day, like TikTok and Instagram and Snapchat people all the time. Yeah. 
this was my first time ever seeing Friday. Oh, oh, okay. I know, right? Well, I told you I don't I don't watch comedies. I generally like to feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I thought that Tucker was a joy in this movie. Like he is like you said, like I mean the physicality of his humor is just incredible. Um I also loved seeing again so many actors that you know that I'm a big fan of later like Tommy Lister was great to see in that role and I mm-hmm. encourage you in my I was trying to research I found a wonderful video of Chris Tucker and Lister basically reenacting a shakedown that <laughs> happened in the scene and this and it's in their church so so, <laughs> so if you haven't seen that video I really recommend you check it out because it's pretty great there's just so many one-liners that have like been stuck in my vocab for years like you guys just got knocked the fuck out yeah like that, like, that one just stuck with me for years man when he tells yeah. me shut the fuck up I'd be quiet but when he leaves <laughs> I'd be talking again <laughs> yeah, that's a good line yeah yo Smokey's taking a shit <laughs> <laughs> when, I mean when they said bye Felicia we were like is this is this the origin yeah, yeah exactly. we couldn't believe it Whenever I get cereal and there's no milk or something, I always say, boy, you better put some water on that damn shit. <laughs> I love that. I love put some water on that damn shit. When John Witherspoon tries to, uh, tries to convince Ice Cube to be a dog catcher also, and Ice Cube's like, I hate dogs. He's like, I hate dogs too. I beat the shit out of dogs all day. It's the best part of my job. <laughs> it's just, it's so good, man. It's like, I catch a dog so and I fucking punch it. Pay him what they're worth. <laughs> Boom. It's so good. John, John Witherspoon, very underrated comedic actor. One Oh, without a doubt. That's ninety five. That's Friday. Huge. I mean, he hits the scene, just explodes. Uh, also ninety five, he was in Dead Presidents as a character named Skip. Yeah, he does drugs in the movie. Uh, a lot, a lot of drugs. So he's just kind of this guy. The the whole movie's about. Uh, it's like in the the Vietnam era, a group of guys from like New York. Uh, from the neighborhood they go to Vietnam and they all kind of get fucked up in their own way and they come back and they're trying to make money and they they turn to robbery and he's just digging on drugs and you know really messed up in the head from Vietnam based on an interview I saw it it, it seemed like more of a dramatic role for him versus comedic yeah I think that movie is more popular for the famous heist scene than for the actual movie. got it the robbers have their faces painted kind of like mimes and yeah. you know, the guy's shooting out a dumpster, but like, I can't name yeah. like one other plot point to the movie. Cause I probably saw it once when I was a little kid and never rewatched it. That's the, uh, the image you see when you look it up online, it's the, the mime heist photo. So that mm. makes sense. All right. Well, that brings us to 97. Uh, we run into a month choice. So as, as it, as it goes with our guests, we hit the five categories. We give our guests the opportunity to pick another film from the filmography. With Tucker, there's only a few other options left. Looking at the rest of them, The Fifth Element was the one that seemed like might be the best conversation because definitely a, a unique role for, for Tucker. Yerky, what do you got, man? I think that there is a little bit of contention with The Fifth Element. When <laughs> it came out in 1997, uh, I believe it actually... Uh, debuted at the, the 50th anniversary of the Keynes Film Festival. Oh. And a lot of people thought that it was you know, one of the best blockbusters they'd ever seen, and a lot of people absolutely hated it. I think what I really love about The Fifth Element is Luc Besson actually started writing it as a 16-year-old, and I think that you can tell. I mean that in some of the best <laughs> ways and some of the worst ways. This seems like, again, as a big, uh, a big comic book nerd, I love... 
that so many things don't need an explanation. The second you start questioning things with this movie, it really starts to fall apart. For instance, if somebody were to check the contents of a case, uh, the movie would have fallen apart pretty quickly. Um, <laughs> but that being said, because those contents were not checked, it created some really cool and quirky moments. And I think it actually thrives under the under the uh, guise of a fantasy movie simply because you really have to suspend uh, belief for a lot of these things to, to work. Mm-hmm. It was great getting to watch this movie again. Um, I do really enjoy it, uh, again, with that that big asterisk of I don't want to ask a lot of questions as I'm watching this movie. Um, we see Bruce Willis you know, playing Corbin Dallas, that classic story of an ex-military taxi driver, and him being pivotal to you know the continued existence of Earth. It's really wonderful. I always love myself a good sci-fi story that involves evil corporations. And what I really love with this one is that Gary Oldman plays the wonderful Jean-Baptiste Emmanuel Zorg, um, which I always <laughs> love. That's the 16-year-old part, because that is a roller coaster of a name, right? Like, it is Jean-Baptiste with just some real high-culture stuff. Like, that's someone you, you'd expect, like, a high school Western civ teacher. That's, like, their substitute who just took a year off in France and, and decided to <laughs> go by Jean-Baptiste. And then you throw in a little Emmanuel, so it's kind of, like, wrathful biblical element there in the middle and then we end it with zorg which not only sounds like the you know the name of a villain that a child would come up with but that's actually legit story that's that's zerg close but yeah (laughs) zorg but get this if you're a calvin and Hobbes fan the zorg were the primary enemies of his made-up spaceman spiff character so like this is you can't write that right so I really love that. Part of the movie that I really, really enjoy is with the start of this, the effects, I think, have really held up really well. A huge reliance on models and prosthetics. It actually was delayed several years because they could not uh, achieve what they wanted to from a CGI perspective. I believe that that's when Luc Besson, the director, actually did uh, Leon the Professional. It was just kind of a fun little nod there. But I, I really do think that the, the effects have held up really well over time. A lot of the scenes with uh, future New York look great still. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that's the reliance on models. I also love some commentary in there. In general, I don't believe the movie is super deep, but there's some pretty poignant stuff there when it comes to corporations and military industrial complexes that exist. I really love the start of the film where, you know, it is a, oh, here's the giant death ball that's approaching Earth. Uh, What do we do? Like, fire a nuke at it, right? It's like, that didn't work. Fire more nukes. It's like, great. I think that that's, that's just wonderful. Overall, I think most aspects have held up. I can't tell if this movie is too long or it's too short. Part of it, I think this movie really thrives when it comes to world building and the aesthetics of everything. And so that makes me want to see more. But I also think in the middle, it gets to be a little bit of a narrative mess. The ending just kind of comes a little bit out of nowhere. There's that. Chris Tucker is indeed in this movie. He plays Ruby Rod, who's a great, I believe, a radio show. I couldn't quite tell if it was a radio show or if it was a television show. Think radio. Yeah, radio. Okay, great. Yeah. Thank you. Also, maybe has superpowers. Like, he appears to make a woman for lack of a better word, you're just going to call it as is orgasm by verbal <laughs> command, which is pretty neat. <laughs> I mean, you could basically be an Avenger at that point, so maybe we'll get a crossover. Chris Tucker, I think, really, really added a, an interesting dynamic because he basically just tags along the entire rest of the story and it's just a really interesting foil to you know Bruce Willis basically just doing what Bruce Willis does. And, and then here you have Chris Tucker as, as Ruby Rod come in and is... 
everything. Yeah, it's everything. Super over the top. Yeah, super over the top. Even like ambiguously, I think almost gender to a degree, like in terms of, of yeah. outfits and, and personality. And that just, I thought, added, again, that really fantastical, wacky element that I think, again, if you can occupy that space, this movie really excels at. Yeah, the, I love the running gag with him and Bruce Willis where he's trying to promo up something on a show. Oh, yeah. And he's super high energy and all of a sudden yeah. you toss it to him. And he's like, great. I'm thrilled. Like the last line where he's like screaming about like, what is everyone screaming about? Like, what is there a bomb going off every five minutes? I die every time. <laughs> I agree with you. I think I was shocked by how well the, uh, the graphics actually held up. So I think you're right. I think it did have to do with the less of a reliance on computer graphics and more on modeling. I remembered liking Bruce Willis so much more when I was younger. And then I rewatched it and he is so dull in this movie. And I, therefore appreciated Chris Tucker way more to lean into the ridiculousness of it, where Chris Tucker's mm-hmm. character is just like clearly absurd. And the movie itself is absurd. So I did watch this. I didn't watch it, you know, in the past week or whatever. I watched it maybe three or four months ago. And it, it was the first time I'd seen it in quite some time. I do agree that with the the prosthetics and everything that really helps it age better because it, it I mean hell it looks better than like the Phantom Menace where they tried to do everything CGI yeah. and it just looks like dog shit and no, that was don't like set the bar too high. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going back to back episodes. I'm mentioning uh, the Jar Jar Binks boost, so that, that <laughs> that's definitely part of it. It's a quirky movie, and I think if you see it when you're younger, you know, you see it at the late '90s, early 2000s, you you build somewhat of an affinity for it. But for sure, I I would I would go out of the the way to say I think Tucker's character is probably the best part of the movie in a lot of ways, just with how. Over the top, he is. I like I Gary gonna, Oldman's accent. I was going to say him and Gary Oldman. I think the two Gary characters that lean the hardest into the absurdity of their characters mm-hmm. are the ones that you're like, oh, that's pretty entertaining. Like Gary Oldman's having a meltdown. Mm-hmm. He's screaming at robots. Like he's and Tommy Lister is the president. Yeah, he's bleeding <laughs> oil and like it. It's <laughs> his character is funny. Chris Tucker's character is super over the top. Is funny and I. I think the part that kind of didn't age well over time is the biggest star in the movie. And I think it's Bruce Willis is like, I'm a tough guy that you don't really need to know any more about my background. On that note, too, I, I, I think that The Fifth Element is close to a masterclass, though, what, like you said, when it comes to world building. And even, again, getting nerdier, being the comics fan. So famous French artists Mobius and Jean-Claude Magier, they actually like designed the world itself. And so, again, comic fans out there will know like they've had a huge impact when it came to uh, the, science, the science fiction world. And then he also leaned into, uh, again, costume design um, by a very famous French designer. I'm going to try not to butcher the name, but um, Jean-Paul Gaultier. Um, mm-hmm. and, yeah, and, and again, I think I think the costume design was was phenomenal. Again, just extensions of what we can see day to day, but also again to that le- level of absurdism and fantasy that the movie really carries. I also believe it was supposed to be a trilogy, and it simply didn't receive well, particularly in the U.S. That's why we bring you on, Mark, because uh, you know your shit, man, and so it gives a cool element to that conversation about the the fifth element. Also, in 1997, we see Tucker's lowest critic score, and that's Money Talks. And Warren's going to dig us through that one. It's going to sound weird, but go with me on this. There's a movie. There is a black guy and a white guy. The black guy lives a life of petty crime. The white guy has some issues at work with his boss. The two cross paths and can't stand each other and are opposites in almost every single way on the surface. 
The white guy has a blonde significant other and the black guy runs in issues with his wife about not being around and getting into trouble and gets yelled at by his mom multiple times in the movie. They come across the money and learn a bit about the real meaning of life. What movie am I talking about? Nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. <laughs> which, <laughs> which came out five weeks before Money Talks. Wow, I didn't know that. Oh, Five wow. weeks before Money Talks. <laughs> I love Nothing to Lose. The movie's fantastic. That's the one that most people like. I remember watching Money Talks. Well, I, I don't remember watching Money Talks. I remember watching Nothing to Lose and thinking it was Money Talks. And <laughs> Money Talks sucks. It really, it's really yeah, it's not, good, it's man. really not that good. Chris Tucker's like the only part of it that's funny. Yeah, Charlie Sheen's a fucking snooze. Yeah, dude. Yeah, Charlie Sheen is bad in it. August 97, 16% on critic with 19 votes, and 71% on audience with 39,000 votes. Everyone loves Chris Tucker. Pretty much. Directed by Brett Radner, his uh, directorial debut. They pair up for all the rush hours later. Money Talks is the start of all things that Tucker does in like all the rush hour movies. I think mm-hmm. Ratner just like watched him do these things and was like, oh, hey, hey, do that, do that thing that you yeah. did in uh, Money Talks. And, you know, he does, he does his high pitch, fast paced, like Spanish accent that definitely cut, crosses racial lines. He does the exact same Michael Jackson like dance sequence from the beginning of Rush Hour after he blows up that car. And, mm-hmm. Like in '97, I could definitely see all this stuff being funny, but it is—it's just tired at this point. I think I remember the rush hours a lot more. I'd gone back and seen this, it was like, oh, well, I guess this did come out first, but it's just not as funny because I've already seen it. I laughed one time at the beginning of the movie. I, I think it was just uh, an impression that Chris Tucker did. I mean, the rest of the movie, it, it's just, it's a clusterfuck of bad French guys and, with <laughs> subtitles and no one ever changing out clips on a gun. Everyone's got unlimited <laughs> ammo. And yeah. Uh, yeah, Charlie Sheen sucks. He's a flat ass character that you just don't care about. He's terrible. Yeah. And unfortunately, they didn't do more with Heather Locklear, who somehow still looks the same as she did in 97. I saw her in a movie on Netflix this morning and she looks identical. Yeah. It's insane. It's unreal. I do remember the um, the Paul Sorvino, Chris Tucker thing being pretty funny. They're like that. That was entertaining. Yes, where he says he's Victim Moan's son. Yeah, Victim Moan Junior. <laughs> Victim Moan Junior. Can I borrow a million dollars? Yeah, I mean Chris Tucker's obviously he makes the movie. Without it, it would literally be unwatchable. Right. The thing that brings him like full story. He he's just like this jackass, and you're like, oh, this guy just doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. But he always comes together with like this full plan. And right. you know, it's kind of like the same thing with Rush Hour. You know, he's like, oh, this guy you can't take seriously, you can't take him seriously. And then when you know push comes to shove, he's got this great idea and he pulls like you know, a rabbit out of his hat. Yeah. And the whole the whole ending scene with everything at the Coliseum and everything, it was like they they basically <laughs> did did like a, a mini tourism video of LA. Mm-hmm. I mean the movie nothing to lose i actually watched both of them today uh i watched them back to back and i enjoyed nothing to lose a lot more uh nothing to lose is classic man i love that movie yeah so that that was a lot of fun but money talks made 48 mil on a 25 million budget which i I guess is cool i never put it together that first of all that those plots are so similar but they also came out right they were probably racing the release yeah and it looks like uh, Money Talks raced and definitely and still lost the race in production. Like there's a, a helicopter scene where they're flying around and it's like 
I think you could see the edge of like a, a, a TV behind it that's showing like the background <laughs> of everything that they're flying past. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty poor. A lot of foreshadowing here of, of the rest of his career. So 97 to 2001, he's only in three movies. He makes his Tarantino debut uh, in Jackie Brown as Beaumont Livingston. And I believe he's only in about eight minutes. It's like one extended scene, right? Yeah, that's correct. It's like Samuel L. Jackson's character shows up, talking to him. Next thing you know, he's uh, he's been taken out by Samuel L. Jackson's character. Put in the back of a trunk, right? Yep. So not much there, but still a Tarantino film. And as James had mentioned, uh, that was probably the lead-in for getting offered the a role uh, in Django Unchained later in his career. Correct. Um, working with him there. Just to connect some of those dots. But then 98 hits, and this is where Chris Tucker goes from a big star to just freaking to the moon superstar in rush hour this movie i think all three of these combined uh, rush hour first one rush hour two and rush hour three i think they almost made gross like a billion dollars which is insane for a comedy you hear that for action movies you hear that comic book superhero movies but you don't hear that for comedies the success of these movies actually made him at one point uh, i think it was mentioned earlier in the podcast but the highest paid actor in which is crazy for someone who at this point I think did four or five movies total. Yeah. Yeah, he got paid I don't remember what he got paid for Rush Hour, but Rush Hour two he got paid twenty mil, Rush Hour three was twenty five mil, and he and he negotiated a portion of the box office uh, return. So did everyone here but Yerky go see Rush Hour in theaters? <laughs> I actually saw it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> it. Took me a second to catch that. I remember watching these. I remember the whole family being into this. It, I mean, yeah. these were events. Yeah, they really yeah. were. What made these movies work were one was as Americans, we were fascinated to finally see Jackie Chan. Like yeah. we wanted to see the guy who does all his own stunts and just whoops ass. And all these fight scenes are him like really jumping between buildings. And it was with the comedic star, Chris Tucker. And they had such like a good chemistry together that it worked like the chemistry that wasn't there with uh charlie sheen was there with jackie chan and like how could someone see that coming barely speaks english and is coming over from hong kong getting a chemistry working with someone as fast talking as chris tucker you can make a case that the chemistry between those two is hard to beat in hollywood in the past 30 years yeah given how how successful they were yeah, I mean, it's, it was a great yin and yang. Well, you know who was originally offered that that role, don't you? No, who? Eddie Murphy. <laughs> really? No, the, James Carter. Yeah, Eddie Murphy was he turned it down, and uh, and then Chris Tucker was was the next in line. Interesting. That would have been interesting. That's wild. He turned Rush Hour down for Holy Man. Oh, wow. And and, and he has joked. He's joked in, in several different uh, interviews, like, eh. You know, you win some, you lose some. And, you know, we're <laughs> sitting here talking about it. James brings up a gross almost a billion dollars. <laughs> yeah. Eddie has that Shrek money, so I don't think he cares anymore. Yeah. Brett Radner and Eddie Murphy are like really good friends too. So yep. I bet that was uh, a difficult decision for, for Eddie to turn that down. Well, so we've got Rush Hour 98, Rush Hour 2, 2001. If, when you watch those films, as again, I watched all three of them because I have the next review. A lot of the jokes are just built upon 
shredding each other's race. So the black yeah, guy joking on the Asian guy, the Asian guy joking on the black guy, like never touch a black man's radio, rush hour two, never step in front of a black man in front of a buffet when he's with all the Asian girls in the masseuse parlor. A lot of tired tropes that were really hilarious at the time because we weren't as woke as we are today. Mm-hmm. Um, but you watch back now and some of it's just really cringy to real like, yeah, we can't quote Chris Tucker at the end of the episode with that because that's just not going to go over well. No. Some of the some of the lines are still hysterical, uh, but they are one hundred percent not the race driven lines. No, uh, because now you hear those and you're like, eh, I don't think I'm going to repeat that one. You know, as I rewatched them too, the weirdest part about this is that the parts of the movie I remembered most were the end credits with the bloopers. Yep. You know, I watched it too. Oh my god! At the end of Rush Hour Two, when they throw the guy over the out of the building goes, he ain't going to be a rush hour three. I was like, holy, I saw it coming from a mile away. I was like, oh, fuck, I remember this. Yeah. Those are really good, cool sequences, especially watching Jackie Chan fail at his stunts. Oh, I think yeah. It was a really interesting look at the movie, how it, how the sausage was made. They added that to a lot of Jackie Chan movies after the fact because it was so popular with the rush hour movies mm-hmm. that everyone wanted to be like, well, let's see him screw up the fight scenes in the other movies. I'd love to see him like, short a jump from a building and like have to catch himself before he falls three stories and they ended up putting that in all of his movies yeah did anybody ever see rumble in the bronx uh yes loved it he goes barefoot skiing behind a hovercraft in that movie with a broken foot (laughs) oh yeah Unbelievable. He he broke his foot doing a stunt and they put a cast on his foot, and they painted it like a shoe, and he went barefoot skiing behind a hovercraft. <laughs> Jesus. How fucking cool is that guy? <laughs> Dedicated to his He's craft. Awesome. So he makes $20 million from Rush Hour 2, right? And people ask, like, why didn't Chris Tucker do another movie before between 2001 and 2007? The dude had a lot of money. Right, so he—it wasn't like he had to work. And as James had mentioned before, this is part when he gets really picky with his roles because he just rises to superstardom. He becomes a born again Christian, allegedly. Allegedly, I'll put that out there. I don't know if that's hardcore fact, but allegedly becomes born again Christian and is reevaluating his career and how he approaches film. In 2005, he was arrested for reckless driving. He was driving his Bentley 109 miles per hour. That's fast. I'll say that. That's that's fast. He referenced that in his stand-up, and it was pretty funny because it was one of those, uh, he goes, have you ever been driving? And then you see a cop pull out behind you, and you're like, damn, I'm absolutely breaking the law. <laughs> He's like, that's what yep. happened with that. I was 100% driving too fast, and I knew I was doing So he got nabbed in 05, and then finally, after six years of waiting, the world got Rush Hour 3 in 2007. And I'm, I'm reviewing that as largest audience gap. So audiences tend to like a little bit more than the critics. So in this case, we're talking about a 6.2 and 44 on IMDb. And then on Rotten Tomatoes, the gap is huge. It's a 63 for the audience and 18 for the critics. There's a, a significant difference between how it was received by the peoples and the critics. I'll start with this. I, th- I think the movie is, you know, it's, it's Hollywood. They're trying to force another big budget sequel because the success was so great with the second one and it was just an unnecessary film judged by the ratings and by the the result it's brett radner again he (laughs) carter is at this point six years later i guess in the movie universe it's only two or three years later because at the end of rush hour two they both are going to new york and jackie's pursuing his new love interest and it comes back to something happened they allude to something happened between the two 
and uh, Chris Tucker pissed off Jackie and screwed up the, his relationship, yada, yada, yada. It returns back to the storyline from the first one with Ambassador Han. So the whole movie hinges on Jackie Chan's brother coming into the, the picture and being this crime lord. And play, he's played by Hiroki Sonata, who I really enjoy Samurai, some other projects that I like. Um, do you guys know who was supposed to be in that role originally? Big time action. Jet Li? No, think big time action stars, but not Asian. Wait, which Jean Claude Van Damme? Jean Claude Van Damme was Get supposed to be. Yes! Which, how does that story work if it's supposed to be Jackie Chan's brother and it's Jean Claude Van Damme? There's, it's going to get real weird. Um, it's like every I guess. other movie Jean Claude is in. He's in an orphanage. I guess. There's, it's going to have to be an orphan situation. Um, there's a funny <laughs> bit with a French taxi driver who initially hates Americans and then becomes absolutely obsessed after being in a gunfight. That was the best part. That was the standout moment. Oh, yeah, he had his, his Lakers hat uh, two-thirds of the movie, and he disappears, and you're like, you've seen enough movies, you're like, you know he's coming back, and he ends up shooting the guy and saving them at the end. One his line midway through is something like, I need I need to kill someone tonight. I, like, yeah. <laughs> like, I want to be an American. I need to kill someone tonight. That was probably the only time I laughed out loud. I was like, this, these are the jokes they're dropping on us. All right, let's go. Um, but I'll tell you what. Tucker's character, I mean, we I mentioned earlier, he ramps up the racism and transphobia like to of the nth degree in this one. Yeah. Um he so he mentions at one point arresting six Iranians who are curing cancer. And this is his line. He says, just because they're curing cancer and rats doesn't mean they aren't blowing shit up. And you're just like, Oh, good lord. Like this is again. Yeah. Yeah, you're looking back thirteen yeah. years later, but um he also can't fathom that a woman is bald, and that's the huge plot turn at a certain point because the uh, the one character is played by a female. Um, and he's also insanely horny, like more than he normally is in the other two movies. <laughs> and, and some of that, that, that gets like problematic with them again. Yeah. Like police relationship with civilians. And yeah. The, the role is relying upon three things, racial and sexual humor, singing American songs and one liners. I mean, that's Chris Tucker. So it, I'm not going to say it's a good performance. It just is Carter. And by that point, it's excessive. That's my review of Rush Hour 3. It's, it was unnecessary, and I don't think it did anything good for his career at that point in time. I saw Rush Hour 3 in college with my fraternity brothers, and it sucked so bad, I wanted to walk out. <laughs> I, it was so unfunny. It was so cartoonish. Like I liked a couple of the fight scenes, but like the moment they jump off the Eiffel Tower, I was like, mm-hmm. "All right, like I don't want to do this anymore. Like, this was a waste of time." And it, it it was one of those like third installments that I felt ruined the first two in my eyes. Whereas like I remember enjoying these movies, and now you've made me hate this movie, and that that's how bad I thought it was when it first came out. Agreed. That's where I was too. I don't think I ever saw Rush Hour Three. Oh, dude. I'm reading about it. I'm like, I don't think I ever saw it. I didn't either. It sucks, man. I barely remember two. I mean, I remember one really well because I, I loved it. If I saw two, I wasn't paying attention or something because I don't I, I can't I don't even remember. I remember I, I remember one and two, and then I remember Shanghai Noon and Shanghai Nights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, Owen Wilson, baby. You're not missing yeah. anything, Warren. Pass. Hard pass. No, I'm gonna watch it now. <laughs> Jackie Chan's movie choices after uh, Rush Hour were not the best. The tuxedo around the world, around the world in eighty days, and all that other shit, or whatever he was in. The tuxedo, yeah, I forgot about that. One. 
we're gonna speed we're gonna speed up five years from 07 to 2012. Again, he's not very busy at this time as an actor. We're gonna hit his highest critic score, and that's his role in Silver Linings Playbook in 2012. And Case has this one. Uh, Silver Linings Playbook is a 2012 American romantic comedy drama, a rom comra, rom comra, rom comra. <laughs> I don't know. And it's it's written and directed by David Russell, uh, based on. A, a novel by the same name uh, from 2008 by Matthew Quinn. Film stars Bradley Cooper, Jennifer Lawrence, with Robert De Niro, Jackie Weaver, Chris Tucker, uh, and Julia Stiles in supporting roles. The movie centers around the relationship between Bradley Cooper's character, Pat, and Jennifer Lawrence's character, Tiffany. We open the movie. Pat is uh, being discharged from a, um, or a psychiatric hospital. He's being checked out by his mom, and he's being released into the custody of his parents. We get an early introduction to Chris Tucker, where he just walks out with him and hops in the car and drives away. And Bradley Cooper's mom is like, um, are you supposed to be leaving? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I, I took care of everything. You know, very smooth and, and very convincing. She gets a call back a couple minutes later, like, yeah, it turns out you were supposed to leave. So I'm going to bring you back. Bradley Cooper's character has one goal in life right now, and that is to get he's being motivated solely to get back together with his wife. It's just so problematic, right? Like we see the struggle and we see how difficult everything is for him to function alone. And you're like, there's no way anybody's gonna take this guy back. It's a very fun and tragic character to watch. Bradley Cooper's character, Pat, meets Tiffany, who's played again by uh, Jennifer Lawrence at a dinner party with, um, with her sister and one of his mutual friends. There's this, there's this brief period where, where they're kind of putting together a relationship. And then finally, she convinces him if he helps her compete in this dance competition, she will help him get his wife back. It's, it's really fun watching the two of them because they're just such good actors and, and their chemistry just jumps out of the screen. Chris Tucker's role, he, he plays a guy named Danny. It, it's kind of what we expected out of Chris Tucker, but kind of dialed down a little bit, right? A little more, a little bit more human. He's charming. He's hilarious. He's got a few scenes. If you took Chris Tucker's character out of this movie, aside from missing some of the fun dances we see at the end, you know, I, I think he, we would have done all right without him. But yeah. he still does a good job in that yeah. role. I, I really enjoy the comedy in this movie because it's not your typical rom-com. It's very, very, very edgy and almost dark comedy. One of the things I also appreciated about this movie, and just based on my own upbringing, this movie really captures the vibe of neighborhoods and family really well. And we don't have a lot of movies anymore that tell the story that's based in a neighborhood, right? And I really enjoyed that part. And then the final thing that I loved was Pat Sr., who's played by Robert De Niro. His irrational approach to, quote-unquote, good luck all the time and the situations and how important and bought in everyone around him is. Because it's like, all right, if he says we got to do it, then we got to do it because it's obviously good luck. And, and it's just hilarious because it's so irrational. One of those scenes, Danny, played by Chris Tucker, is actually forced to sit on the couch and hold the remotes a certain way because the Eagles have just scored. <laughs> so they're just making him sit there like that. It's just hilarious. In fact, Bradley Cooper walks in. He's like, oh, wait, now, now he's going to hold the remotes? And Robert De Niro's like, they just scored, so we can't change it. The one thing that I love and hate at the same time is the portrayal of Philly Eagles fans because it is spot on and it's why I hate them. <laughs> because they are irrational, emotional, illogical humans. They nailed it from that standpoint. Agreed. 
I mean, they hate themselves, that, that scene of the tailgate where there's a brawl starts and it's all Eagles fans. Yeah, it's only Eagles fans <laughs> beating each other the whole time. Surprise! One thing I loved about this movie was how shocking and unique the storyline is. When you, know, when you look at the cover of the movie and the stars of the movie, and even the name of it, you don't expect it to be what it is. And then the storyline plays out and it's like a deep dive into dealing with mental health issues and bipolar disorders and depression and how it's almost impossible for these people to properly function in society. And then what a toxic relationship would look like between people who have those issues. And at no point are you like bored the whole time. You're like, all right, cool. I'm watching the next thing. All right. What's going to happen next? This is new. This is like a refreshing take on a love story. Uh, and I found that super fascinating. So I love it. Yeah, I'm kind of, kind of, I wouldn't say opposite of you on this. It's just like exactly what you said about the cover and like the name and the characters and everything. I went in expecting something completely different. Yep. And it didn't hit any of it. And so I was like, well, I don't really care about this movie anymore. I haven't seen it since and I will definitely give it another shot. I just, I haven't really gotten around to rewatching it i don't really have anything good or bad to say about it because i i recognize that it it won won some stuff you know and things like that but i also completely agree with the philadelphia like uh-huh. they're they're lovable assets and so you know I, not not really lovable <laughs> yeah, no they're unlovable assets <laughs> i love how like it shows not only like the mental health issues and you get to see how ridiculous the point of view is from Bradley Cooper or Jennifer Lawrence. But you also get to see how like the people who don't have those issues are like acknowledging that these people are being crazy. And my favorite like slight comment is when Bradley Cooper is talking to his therapist and he's having a breakdown about what he should wear to this dinner party. And he's like, well, I should probably get dressed up because you know, they're inviting this girl for me to meet. He's like, my brother-in-law got me this Eagles jersey, and I kind of want to wear that. And his therapist is like, well, what player on the Eagles? And he goes, Deshaun Jackson. And his therapist just, like, breaks character and immediately is like, Deshaun Jackson's the fucking man. <laughs> like, <laughs> yep, and then he sees him at the game. And, yeah, and, he's, yep. and they, like, become huge friends. Like, they're both diehard Eagles fans. He's like, oh, yep. shit, you're here. Oh, my God. The fish-out-of-water vibe at the end of the movie when they're at the dance competition. I think it's great. It just cracked me up. I, I laughed out loud. When, when that happened, and all the other dancers are very self-aware. Oh, well, they, they make a comment that because they're getting all these fours, and they look over and like, that's really rough. That's a lot of fours. Yeah, you can see it just be like, <laughs> yeah, we don't care. Yeah. The first time I saw Silver Linings Playbook, I went into it with huge expectations just because I saw it after the Oscars, knowing that she had won Best Actress, and, and he had been nominated for Best Actor and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. I just not did not like the characters. I found them so obnoxious, and like I yeah. get that they had mental illness, and you were supposed to be yeah. You don't like mental illness. That's what it sounds like, Rigby. Yeah. Right? You're supposed to be. You're supposed to sympathize for them. Problematic, Rigby, over here. But I just um yeah, I just did not like the characters. Do you think the Bradley Cooper Jennifer Lawrence combo would have been better than the alternative of Vince Vaughn and Zoe Deschanel? Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> that was who, that was who Russell initially intended to make the film. Yeah, I would have preferred uh, that 2013 to 2015. Chris Tucker hosted the BET awards in 2013. And then he had a, a stand up special that's on Netflix called Chris Tucker live. James mentioned it earlier. 
The one bit I remember from it is the uh, piece on Wesley Snipes because Chris Tucker ran into some tax evasion issues in 2014. Um, they, uh, <laughs> the folks who reported attributed to bad bookkeeping essentially, and he he jokes about was. Uh, Wesley Snipe giving really bad tax advice, and if you know anything about te- Wesley Snipe's background with uh, taxes, then you know not to heed his advice on that front. So that's the only part that stuck out to me that I really remembered or found humorous. I think the biggest difference that was noticeable uh, from watching his earlier stand-up to watching this is he no longer curse. I think it's clear that he's trying to make a change in his personal life because he stopped taking movie roles that kind of made him famous, where he was... The quick talking, uh, but, you know, kind of uh, abrasive, and he would say he'd have foul language and we'd say slang terms. And now it's he's still quick talking. It's naturally part of his humor, but that is not anything that kind of aligns with him personally. And I think it's because he's, you know, kind of become more religious. The pop culture and audience had had become so accustomed to his eccentric, comedic personality and then seeing him take a more reserved approach i just don't think people were ready for it and have accepted that new chris tucker yet Mm -hmm. which you know plays into kind of where where he's gone with his career we've run into uh 2016 which is his most recent film performance and is also his largest critic gap and that's billy lynn's long movie title i mean halftime walk finally Uh, here and james is getting it what i am saying about to say, I want you guys to know that I support our troops and our military. Um, <laughs> I love this country. I'm as patriotic as you can be. I love America. Uh, I want to let you guys know that beforehand. Okay. So Billy Lynn's long halftime walk and horrific movie name is based off of a, a widely successful best-selling novel uh, by Ben, a uh, man by the name of Ben Fountain. It's a fictional story told from the point of view of a 19-year-old soldier named Billy Lynn, who, along with his platoon, has been hailed as a hero and is kind of brought back from Iraq uh, to go on a victory tour of the U.S. after their battle went viral. So it was filmed, and someone saw his heroic act, and they brought that back to America to kind of be celebrated. Through flashbacks, and then this is where things go off the rails, culminating at a halftime show of the Thanksgiving Day Dallas Cowboys football game. The film reveals what really happened to the guys, and it's contrasting kind of the realities of the Iraq conflict and how America celebrates its soldiers back home. So it's directed by Academy Award winner Ang Lee, who's done some amazing movies. It has a stacked cast. cast. It's Garrett Hedlund, Kristen Stewart, Steve Martin, Tim Blake Nelson, our boy Vin Diesel, and Chris Tucker. The movie takes place during a single day, and it's really trying to tell a story of like soldier camaraderie, the commercialization of war, PTSD, you know, like the weight of trying to, of being considered a hero for what you might consider the worst day of your life, and what it really means to like support the war when the real costs are kind of barely felt by the majority of the U.S. citizens at home. Sounds like an amazing story, tremendous story, and I can understand why that book was successful because that is a super deep dive told from the perspective of of the soldier that I bet is really fascinating. Uh, But unfortunately, just like the title of this movie, this movie sucks. Um, (laughs) This movie's in 3D. Have anything I've said so far makes you feel like this 
be a good movie for 3D. <laughs> Highly like unfocused. It's inconsistent in what it's trying to say. For all the interesting concepts it's trying to explore, it's like such often like empty statements. Like I think it'd be super fascinating if they dove in on the support our troops crowd and the all like misconceptions of war. That would be awesome. But instead it just kind of makes that statement and then it goes straight to like corny on the nose intense close-ups of the cast giving like a monologue directly into the camera like tucker for example so tucker plays an agent for the soldiers who's trying to get them a movie deal and he's on the phone like 95 percent of the time you know being like his quick talking self but then there's a moment where he delivers a line where he's the way i see it you guys are here and hollywood is way the heck over there and frankly I don't think these studios folks have the moral fortitude to grasp the true, the true stakes of your story while like looking in the camera. Oh my God, this is making my skin crawls. Like watching a soap <laughs> opera of American stereotypes just play out. And mm. you, you know, there's a love story. Like a cheerleader falls in love with one of the soldiers. They've known each other for 10 minutes. And it's like a horribly written and like bizarrely shot soap opera. Everyone who supports the troops is shown as like a simpleton. Uh, people who don't seem to care either way are shown as assholes. And the soldiers are shown as like these immature kind of like undisciplined and like extremely rude dicks, uh, especially for troops who are on a public <laughs> relation tour and supposed to be treated as heroes. Like this movie, no question, likely offends soldiers, their families, Anyone who supports the troops, <laughs> Dallas Cowboy fans, people who are fans of enjoying watching good movies, all are offended by this. When I found out this was the largest critic gap, I was shocked because anyone who says this is, movie is good is only saying that because they're either embarrassed that a book that they loved was turned into a horrific movie, or they are afraid to say this movie blows because of the subject matter that it's about. It's legitimately one of the worst military movies I've ever seen. And when it was over, I was like, so confused what had just happened. Like, the fact that this movie was a super successful book, I was like, I kind of doubt that the book's that good anymore. Because that's how bad the movie was. <laughs> so you didn't read the book? No, there's no, I mean, no. <laughs> it's, it's, such a cool, it's such a cool concept that is so horrifically done and like so confusing that you're like, this movie is offensively bad. Like it's going out of its way to insult me with this movie. What's crazy is, I mean, the movie made basically 31 mil in the U S and Canada. It made 1.7 mil. So it made 30, oh, wow. it made 30 mil abroad. And to give you guys some context, I remember reading the blogs earlier that year of Oscar hype. So it was probably eight months before the Oscars, and you read the, here are the 15 movies you you should expect to be big time in award season. And Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk was in every one of those blogs and articles from all the the um, the outlets. And so there was this legend coming in that because all these big names are part of this project, it's going to retell the story, that it was supposed to be amazing. And I think the expectations were so big for it, that probably explains how hard it crashed. Also, he just Life of Pi was his last movie, and he won, won an award for it. And they're like, four years, and we're going to get his opus. Mm -hmm. And he just, shit. <laughs> Bro, it is so bad. And like, Ang Lee absolutely focused all of his efforts into the special effects of this movie. It's all about the 3D and the like 120 uh, frames per second shooting. Like 
it's a movie about PTSD and like the nuances of how to deal with a soldier coming back from war. He's like, well, what if the rockets going off at the halftime show with Destiny's Child kind of shot out of the screen? Like, what the hell is going on right now? <laughs> so that was his last movie, Chris Tucker, 2016. Before we finish up and start writing him, let's talk a, just a, a couple minutes about the legend of what he wasn't. And so I'm just going to run through real quick. James mentioned a few of these roles, but I'm going to run through all the roles that he could have taken. Uh, he was either offered or was very interested in it. So we had uh, Lethal Weapon 4. That role eventually went to Chris Rock. We had in Any Given Sunday. We've got two roles with Jamie Foxx stepping in. So Any Given Sunday and Django Unchained. You had Next Friday and Friday After Next, as we mentioned, Mike kept stepping in character. Um, there was a movie that... The, they started producing in 1998 called Agent 00 Soul. He was supposed to co-lead that alongside Raya Carey, which was going to be her film debut. And it was Ooh. written by Antoine Fisher, that Antoine Fisher. He was going to play a hip spy with a slew of crazy gadgets. Almost sounds like a little bit of a MacGruber. Sounds like under, undercover brother. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But that the project fell through um, before they could make that one. He was in contention for the role that Martin Lawrence got in Black Knight in 2001, and Martin Lawrence <laughs> made like $15 million for So that was a yep. big-time money roll. Mr. President was a, another one that was unproduced. He was in the running for the lead in The Pink Panther in 06. That role eventually went to Steve Martin. And Night and Day in 2010, that role eventually went to Tom Cruise. What? Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, they, and they, didn't they didn't want to do a black and white Night and Day thing. That would have been, uh, been bad. Yeah, yep. that, that could be an issue. Yeah. And originally, Tower Heist that came out in 2011 was supposed mm -hmm. to be this like big buddy comedy with Eddie Murphy, Chris Tucker, Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle, like all these black actors going into this. And then all that kind of fell through, and they brought in Casey Affleck and all these other characters into the fold. Um, so he's he was attached to a lot of different projects over the years, uh, and it would have been really interesting to see him in some of those. But we have the Chris tucker that we have today and we're just gonna have to kind of live with it i would um, i would yeah, have been i would have been fine with any of those except for Django. yeah i don't know how he would have done yeah. Django. Uh, jamie fox would have that I one's that one's too good and yeah. uh, you can you can keep any given sunday that movie blows i think uh with Django, i just i guess i would trust tarantino because he's tried to re revital he has successfully revitalized like other actors who have fallen off's career that's a great point but like yeah. i can't i love Django so much i can't imagine exactly anything. yeah well, well i think yeah. this is a good transition to munson meter because i think where you guys are going is that chris tucker hasn't shown enough dramatic chops to do yep. that role well i think um because there is a comedic element to it but Django works because he's a badass hard ass going about that role and i don't think chris tucker could have done that well yeah. And list sold it in the same way with that Tarantino West spaghetti Western style. Let's get into the Munson meter. So, if you're a first time listener, this is what we do we rate the, the actor on a scale of zero to 100 based on a variety of factors. We look at their longevity, how long have they been in the game, how consistent have they been. We look at their pop culture impact, um, you know, how recognizable of a name are they. We look at their acting range, we discuss their awards in footprint. We evaluate them on their talent. So do they do other things? Do they sing, produce, direct? We evaluate them on their personal life and also their comedy chops. So with all that said, 
Um, this week, we'll start with James. Like we've mentioned previously with like primarily comedic actors, it is hard to compare them on the same scale as dramatic actors. It's even harder when you're trying to dr- judge an actor like Chris Tucker, who's done 11 films total in his life. Uh, some mm-hmm. terrible, some good, and some that are so iconic that he's still a part of pop culture for like, the last 25 years. His signature brand is fast-talking, you know, slang-spewing comedian with an over-the-top kind of persona. Uh, and he's a scene stealer in every movie that he's in, but he desperately needs, like, a straight man that he could play off of, like, build chemistry with to kind of mellow him out a little. When it works, we've gotten Friday, Rush Hour, and The Fifth Element, and those are movies that have combined for, like, a billion dollars and made him, like, one of the kings of the 90s. However, his style is just his style of humor is just so overwhelming that if he isn't paired properly with the co-star, isn't like a minor role, like you simply just can't have him be the lead. Now with him becoming very selective in the roles he's taking due to his like renewed devotion to his faith, I highly doubt that we'll actually see Chris in like a leading role anytime soon because it, it in my mind anyway, it's almost next to impossible to find a role that suits his style of comedy and fits in with his faith. So like Silver Lane's playbook worked because he was a quick talking, like recovering uh I don't know if he was an addict or if he had mental illness, but it was um still sticking in line with the roles and he was able to be fast talking. But my honest suspicion is like that's not gonna be easy to find in other places so i think he's most likely going to stick with stand-up for the rest of his career i i know we've we've recently said with other comedians like i'm excited to see them expand on their dramatic roles but with chris like i think they're going to be few and far between hence why uh, you know billy lynn was years ago um and prior to that was just silver linings playbook while the lack of roles and clearly lack of range will slowly lower his score time he was once the highest paid actor in hollywood and some of the roles he has are iconic and they're gonna stand the test of time i couple that with the fact that he's heavily involved in the non-profit industry so it seems like he's a good guy off the screen despite having some issues i'm gonna give him a 65 but i think years from now that i don't see that improving and i think it'll probably lessen okay warren i would say like with with tucker like bang for your buck he is like up there near the top like it's it's the name recognition it's the now very uh not kosher impressions that people may do you know if somebody you can't understand somebody like yelling do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth that should that doesn't fly anymore but those like those will always be etched in my mind like smoky for sure rush hour for sure and even though I I didn't really enjoy it, like Fifth Element, like he will always be that that flamboyant character that will always pop out. Which unfortunately, uh, apparently he won a Razzie. In, yes, he did uh, in '97 yeah. <laughs> for his role in Money Talks and Fifth Element. So mm-hmm. two two nominees uh, in '97, which uh, the Razzies are, are awesome. I think that with with those roles and, and the diversity in his roles, you know, he is, he is good at what he does. He was good at what he does. Um, yeah. It has changed and it's not the same. So to go in with the same expectation that you're going to get smoky, you're going to be let down. And that's the path he, he took in his life. And that's cool. I'm not going to knock him for it because you know, he's living life and 
I could actually see him getting back into more roles almost strictly in like a uh, voice acting work. Yeah, call. his voice is so like any 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 adult can really pick out his voice, mm-hmm. and so I think if you were to find like any of the roles that Kevin Hart did in like Secret Life of Pets with that little furry rabbit, you put yeah. Chris Tucker, you put Chris Tucker's voice in there. I think Kills you it. still you still have the Kill exact it. same you still have that exact same impact, and you can still have really good um, you know that new movie coming out uh, Soul the, the new Pixar movie that yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jamie Foxx is doing. Could he have passed on it? Sure. But it also has, you know, I think it's more of that wholesome nature that with the comedy and the joy that he wants to to bring. I think that's what he should be looking for. And I know no matter what, when he goes out and does, does stand up, people are going to pay to go see him because it's just saying like, oh, I saw Chris Tucker. When did you see Chris Tucker? It doesn't matter. I saw Chris Tucker. <laughs> like that's that's all people are really going to say from that point. I mean, for a while there, he had like a Barry Sanders-esque career where it was just like this short period of time. And if he had just ridden off into the sunset, you could have always said like, wow, what could have been? And, you know, he's he's definitely evolved uh, as he's grown as a person. But I'm, I'm going to give him a uh, 58 just because there's not as much flexibility, but it's really hard. If it weren't for that staying power, uh, he'd probably be a little bit lower. But I mean, yep. for me, he, he he is what he is. I'm up next. Uh, you guys have hit most of everything that I wanted to say. Uh, you two are exhaustive, so there's, mine's going to be extremely quick, and I, I will say this. I got three points. One, uh, pound for pound, with pop culture impact, he competes with anyone. Uh, having only done 11 projects, 14 projects, I mean, to have the name recognition he does is insane. So I gave him really high score on pop culture, other talents. He does a lot of impressions. He's a good dancer. He's got the comedy side. And and just his comedic chops, but a huge hit in the awards and range side. And longevity is just hard to judge with him because he's been in the game for a while, but he just hasn't done much. He's done two projects in the past 13 years, right? So uh, with all that said, I'm going to give him a 57. Yerky, you're up. Like you said, a lot of this stuff's been hit on. As you were talking, we were talking about like what could be next. What The show that immediately came to my mind, I wish that he could be in, would be Righteous Gemstones. I don't know if you've ever seen that oh, show. Oh, oh, God. But right, like that's the type of thing where it's like, that might hit home with the values that he's trying to communicate. Because that show isn't so on the nose, like anti-religion, right. more critical of like televangelism. Right. I just, I feel like, and the, the rock solid cast there and, and the absurdity of it, like, Aside, I wish you would do that. Um, speaking to that, so that's where I start to run into again, like the the range. I just I don't see it there. Um, and and being somebody that naturally is just not not super into comedies, um, I really wish we could see him find his own. And even as I started to dig more, to try to find his personal life. Where I struggle with Chris Tucker is I don't know that those things that we point to again, like the the Smoky um, and the uh, Officer Carter. I don't know that he's actually proud of those characters and the way that he wishes he could be. And that to me, I go back and forth. Is that a negative or is that a positive? Um, ultimately, I, I think Chris Tucker is incredibly talented. Again, his physical presence, the, his influence on pop culture, like that's all undeniable. The thing that I struggle most with is that I don't know that Chris Tucker was actually proud of that version of himself. Nice. And I really, really wish that he would be given I wish he would let himself like find another role. I feel like that picky 
is almost a cop out because we even that list we ran through there's a lot of really great opportunities there and i think that there's a lot yeah. of room for him i personally i'm gonna i would give him a 52 uh, i i think again that his comedy mostly leans into his stand-up but i just don't know that that's something that he is proud of any longer and, and i just don't know that his comedy does what it needs to do to uh, have that lasting appeal and i'll add this too i didn't mention mine but i meant to his unwavering support from michael jackson also takes a hit for me in my scoring of him because i i get it there's some controversy there but it's hard to still stand on that yeah. ledge and, and and reach out there so with it, we'll just continue case you're up a couple things that haven't been brought up yet that i like he's big into family and he's i've heard him talk about it in interviews and he joked about it in his last comedy special that his family cost him a lot of money hmm. they uh he was he was running a comedy club with his family hmm. And, uh, and Jimmy Kimmel goes, well, you need to give me some advice on that. He goes, nah, I closed it. <laughs> and he goes, How long did it last? He goes, a year. My, my family lost me money, so I closed it. He pulled off something that is, I mean, you could count on one hand the amount of comedic action stars there are. He, I think, definitely fills that void. And, you know, it's hard to think of one since, to be honest. I, I give him a lot of credit for that. And, and he was huge at like the peak time for me in my life right mm -hmm. and so he nostalgic wise he he carries he gets some extra points for me otherwise you know i'm I'm docking him the same same reasons you guys are you know i'm a fan and but unfortunately he's not going to get one of my higher scores i'm going to give him a 60 all right rigby finish this out i thought about this kind of all week when we first learned that we were going to do tucker because um how much impact do you give somebody that really hasn't had a, a a memorable role since rush hour in my, in my eyes, which was 22 years ago. Cause even rush hour two and three were not really memorable to me. Um, I think there's something to be said that he was once at one time, the highest paid actor in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a crazy stat. He'll get points for me there. I think where he loses it is just, like I said, he hasn't really done much and that's either by choice or which it sounds like it is by choice. Cause he is picky and, and he kind of has reevaluated his life and, isn't proud of of the roles that he had but you mentioned the michael jackson thing i, I think i mentioned earlier he's he's tied to, to jeffrey epstein in some way i don't really want to i won't get too crazy with that just because i think he just like flew on his plane a few times but it's, this is the day and age where that guy's like yeah, you you don't want anything to do with that guy. <laughs> you don't want to get caught in that web. Yeah. So uh, if your name is on if your name is on an Epstein flag, you're probably going to get docked some points in podcast. So um, I'm going to dock him there as well. You know, he's funny. He's he's got he had the star power. He just lost it. Um, so I'm going to give him my lowest score. Give him a 63. Um, I think that's my lowest score. You docking him points for being close with Jeffrey Epstein and me not docking him points for that. Uh, I want to put it on record. I also don't like Jeffrey Epstein. Um, <laughs> <laughs> big, big anti Epstein. The Munson stand firm <laughs> on their general hatred towards yes. Creed and their support of anything anti Epstein. Yeah, yeah, got We're it. Big, big anti Epstein and, over here, and supporting the troops. And again, and I, we love the troops. Eh. We love them. And again, I, I want to. Whoa, whoa. Too controversial. I want to. Uh, I want to preface with like, just because he flew on his plane doesn't mean he was. But like. Casting you know. some aspersions here, Rigby. I see. It's just one of those things that you're just going to... People are just going to look at you... They're going to look at you differently for a bit until you're kind of proven innocent, you know? So, uh, once until uh, Ghislaine Maxwell speaks, then I think um, 
people are always going to be suspicious. So he gets a 63 from me. Warren, what does that bring us? That gives Chris Tucker a score of 59.17, which puts him 13th ahead of Natasha Leone and behind Craig Robinson. Ooh, nice. Okay. It sounds fair. Sounds very fair. 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 I forgot to say that. I forgot to say that, actually. It's a fair score. Fair, fair, fair. All right, Warren, uh, what does he have coming up? I know it's it's an interesting question to ask for Chris Tucker because he's so damn picky, but anything coming around Ben? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, Also, just based on how we're saying that, you know, why would he go back and rehash old projects? We got Rush Hour 4 that's been been rumored slash announced, and uh, Chris Tucker is rumored to reprise his role as Carter. We'll see if it, uh, if uh, Jackie Chan's, you know, using uh, Kane at that point, or if Chris Tucker is <laughs> just going to be like, uh, you know, a, a new a new character. So, no idea how that's going to look. We've got five actors on the wheel for our next episode. Uh, those actors are Kate Beckinsale, James Remar, Rami Malek, Kara Knightley, and Oscar Isaac, James D'Imperio himself. Um, <laughs> what are our thoughts on those five actors? I can tell you like one movie that James Remar's in. That's about it. Didn't we already do Kira Knightley? Oh, no, no, sorry. That was uh, Alicia Vikander and all those period pieces. Yes. <laughs> yep. I actually don't want to do Kate Beckinsale because... I don't want to, I mean, I will, if I have to, watch the Underworld movies, but she's just really not in anything that good. I've never seen the Underworld movies, so I guess that would be one thing. She's in Click, which is depressing as hell. She's in the remake of Total Recall. She was in a movie, I think in 2016, that was actually pretty decent. I I don't usually like period pieces. And she she dated Pete Davidson, which I don't (laughs) get. Oscar Isaac would just probably, he's probably going to be the favorite of the online community, I'm sure. I would imagine so. And Remy Malik, I, I have, I still have an issue with uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. The Same. Movie sucked. I, I kind of want it to be Remy Malik just so I can shred it. Like, I hope I get that category to destroy Bohemian Rhapsody because it's terrible. Kyle, I think, I think you and I talked a solid 15 minutes about how bad Bohemian Rhapsody was it's in comparison so to Rocket Man <laughs> at the last conference. Yeah, what the hell? Rocket Man is far superior, and I... we'll get it. We can get into the editing of Bohemian Rhapsody. And the fact it won an Oscar is just—it's insane to me. Yeah, so. that was such bullshit. Do you think like Jamie Foxx when he was portraying Ray Charles and he learned how to play the songs like him and he sang like him and he acted like him? Tried to get that Oscar, didn't get it. And then Rami Malek like just puts in fake teeth, and someone else just sings for him. He's like, "Oh shit, Oscar! Like, what the hell? You know, like <laughs> all the effort and got that." As I look at the rest of the list too, Remar that gives me a chance to rewatch Girl Next Door, so I'm down with that cause. And then with Karen Knightley, I can watch the Pirates movies, and I always enjoy a stroll down that lane. I don't hate the options. Yeah, they're really not that bad. So what, whatever happens, I mean, I'll do it anyways. The wheel I'm up decides. For, I'm up for watching anything. The, the wheel decides. The wheel, the wheel decides. We have reached the end. Uh, Mark, Yerky, it's been a pleasure, brother. Thanks for having me. I appreciate getting to do this. That's fun, Mark. Do you have any uh, plugs? 
any plugs you want to drop? Uh, I mentioned last week, Corey, any mixtapes you got your SoundCloud you want to drop? Oh, boy. No, I'm not doing anything special like that. Just, uh, you know, support local businesses during some of these tough times. For me in particular, again, that's supporting local breweries. So get out there and make it happen. <laughs> What's the, the best new beer you've tried recently? I recently made a 1,500-mile trek down to Colorado to pick up beers from my favorite brewery. That is Casey Brewing. They're in Glenwood Springs. Just last week, I had a uh, raspberry sour from them that was decadent. So if you can find Casey, and I, you probably can't, check them out. They're incredible. Casey Brewing, uh, if, if you feel like sending if a case, <laughs> I'm in Cincinnati. Yeah. I'll have Rigby. Back. I'll have Rigby drive it back after he when or after he starts <laughs> out on the roulette table. <laughs> yeah. Mark, it was awesome, man. We'll uh, yeah, dude. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks, yeah, Mark. It was a blast. Thank, I'm just hoping I earned that shirt. No, you got it. I was just <laughs> Imperio is the one you got to talk to on that one. He's the yeah. distributor. Yo, I'll Crazy. send you some crazy shipping and handling. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll send beer for shirts. Oh, there you go. <laughs> you win. You win. <laughs> All right, so our next podcast is going to hit on July 30th. Our featured guest is a, a man by the name of John Bell, another big movie nerd. John's going to come in with just good average months and knowledge, and he's a movie with the rest of our guests that we bring in. Excessively average. That's what we strive for. <laughs> <laughs> um, and as we wrap up, um, you can find us on Twitter at Munson's at Movies. You can find us on Instagram at Munson's at the Movies. You can catch us on email at Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. As always, we'd love to see our interaction online. Any final thoughts from the Munson's? Don't ever, 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 ever come by here. Okay? All right, Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?